Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Hey, Seattle. It's getting dark out, and it's Saturday night. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and... Uh, Oh, well, I'm going to be something. We've got a, an online shopping, uh, well, we got a program, and it's called Figbo, and uh, the chief marketing officer is here today, and it's so fun because it's September, and it's harvest time, and a little chill in the air, of course, football, it's season, and uh, I wonder if they'll, well, let's learn all about Figbo, because I know they got food, and, and meats, and vegetables, and fruits, and some cooking ingredients, and cheeses, and I wonder if they got liquor. Hey, Bill Anderson, publisher of Edible Seattle, Edible Portland, and chief marketing officer for Figbo. Welcome to Happy Hour. Glad to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, September. Wow. God, here it is. And uh, leaves are turning orange almost, a little yellow, a little gold. Um, uh, But is Figbo turning gold? What's going on with Figbo? Where'd this name come? What the heck is it? Uh, the founders of the company actually had toyed around with the name Figbox, but it was impossible to brand that <laughs> the way they wanted. And they were they found a a fig logo that they were particularly enamored with. So Figbo became the offshoot for Figbox. Figbox, not Big Box, because Big Box is out. Everybody wants no more Big Box stores. But yep. hyper, yeah, hyper local, very small. That's. So uh, Figbo is a an online shopping delivery service. Tell me, what's the definition of Figbo? Probably the easiest way to describe it is an online farmers market. If you had all of the products that you would see at the Ballard Sunday Market available on Figbo, that's basically what we're shooting for. All stuff that's direct from the farm. Uh, and or producer or artisan producer, right? Our producer, yeah. our rancher, direct from the source, and usually no more than a couple of days from the time it was harvested. So the, the farmers that are picking berries to go to the Sunday Ballard Market, we pick up the berries that same day on Sunday for delivery on Monday. All right. So um, you are involved. Uh, you are the publisher of Edible Seattle, and that magazine is how old? The magazine is over 12 years old. 12 years old. And uh, was Portland there shortly, the sibling or brethren? or Portland actually was the the founding city for Ooh. the whole Edible Communities series of publications. So it's been around even longer. Okay. And you're the publisher of both of those magazines now? Correct. Also online available, and that's uh, ediblesseattle.com? Yes. But we don't make the magazine readily available for reading online. It's designed to be a coffee table piece. Yeah, okay. But you can see, you can research past articles. A lot of people go to the website looking for recipes. All right. So the big news, of course, uh, in the billion-dollar uh, mergers and acquisitions was, of course, Amazon taking over Whole Foods. Now, they plan to, they've got the Amazon Fresh out there. Was this idea, this idea of Figbo, an online farmer's market, which delivers, is was this uh, hatched or conceived prior to this big merger? Yes, actually, uh, we did a proof of concept about a year ago, delivering mostly just straight from the ranch and straight from the fisherman proteins, and uh, it it proved to be quite successful. And at the time, uh, there was a competitor 
in the area by the name of Farmigo, who came and went <laughs> relatively quickly. And uh, once they... Not Grocer.com? Or no, <laughs> no. Well, because what we're doing, we're, we're not... The stuff that you find on Figbo is not the same stuff that you would find at a QFC. You're not or getting Cheerios or, you know, beans in a can. Absolutely not. All right. So. Well, pretty neat. We have a lot of farmers markets all over uh, the Northwest. It appears, and that's part of our Saturday or Sunday ritual from Walla Walla to West Seattle, of course. Uh, the founders of Figbo, and are they in the grocery business? Are they the farmers? Or where was this inspiration? No, the inspiration actually was. Uh, it's the company was founded by a husband and wife team, and the inspiration was the birth of their now three-year-old daughter. And the need to begin eating healthier and r- recognizing that they wanted her to grow up uh, learning how to prepare direct, fresh vegetables, not the kind of stuff that you typically find in the grocery store. And they started looking around. And other than the availability at farmer's markets on the weekend, it's very difficult to find unless you want to drive out to the farm. So the concept was instead of going out to the farm, let's bring the farm to the front door. Well, it makes sense. I guess we've had uh, Pike's Market for uh, over 100 years, and uh, they're expanding. So the idea is um, everyone's time. Is, is time the new currency or not? Because uh, it seems to be short of supply unless you're young and you have time forever. But um, the idea of Figbo, is it figbo.com? Because people are interested in it, they can check it out right now? Yes, figbo.com. All right. And i got to say this. Um, Pretty cool. Uh, Bill hooked me up. I got a chance to go online and uh, peruse some of the fresh ingredients, the fresh offerings from uh, seafood, of course, to uh, pork, uh, beef, poultry, um, some mixed goods as in like cheeses and and some interesting processed stuff, which I don't want to use the term processed because that sounds like it came out of a machine, but things that were uh, recipe things, I should say. And here's one of them you brought to me today. It's, it's kind of bizarre because no one thinks of, of, uh, fermented or probiotic nuts. And you've got something here made from fermented cashews. This comes right from Vashon Island, and it is the product is called Cello. It is a fermented cashew cream. It can be used as a dip for vegetables. Uh, you can sauce fish with it. You can put it over roasted vegetables. You can spread it on a hamburger bun. comes in four different flavors, uh, sun-dried tomato, basil. There's a, a uh, garlic and herb that's quite good. Yes. So, and this product pretty much capsulizes exactly what we're trying to do at Figbo. The only place you can buy this particular product is at the Vashon Farmer's Market on Saturday, the Ballard Farmer's Market on Sunday, and for home delivery by Figbo. It's not available anywhere else. All right. The product's called Cello? Cello. C-H-E-L-O, and uh, it is a cultured cashew cream. This particular flavor uh, offering is sun-dried tomato and basil. Now, you brought me some uh, lovely baby carrots here, and this is uh, a nice chilled, um, looks like it reminds me of a schmear or something like that, and it tastes really good. I, I would not believe this is cashews. It tastes like it's got, it's full of dairy. It's got that creamy, cheesy flavor, but lovely sun-dried tomato and, and hints of basil. Um, is this something that actually exists in a third world or a second world, and, or did someone come up, hey... I got some old cashews here. I got an idea. What happened? How does this come about? Uh, dairy issue, actually. So as a lot of farmers' market products are developed, it was developed out of a nutritional necessity by the founder. She had a, 
issue with dairy, tried to find something that she could use as a substitute to sauce, dip, spread, etc. And she began playing around with this. She's also a uh, certified nutritional therapist. So she started playing around with this cultured cashew cream and uh, figured out that to replace the probiotic and prebiotic benefits that you would get from yogurt, which of course has dairy in it, if she ferments it, you get the same health gut benefits that you would from yogurt. It's very interesting. I, I never would have thought about, um, well, I guess that's not true. I, we've had nut butters before. Uh, I would always sweeten those, and when I made those at home in my coffee grinder, throw in some pistachios or some pecans and add a little sugar or a little honey or something, and it was really good because it was like peanut butter or kugel back in the day. But this is really, really cool. So this this is not something, a food stuff that has been created around the world and someone just took a recipe and, and, and charmed it? This the, is No, it has not. Wow. There are a couple of other offshoots of the that are similar uh, to her product, but in true Figbo style, we want products that you can't customarily or readily find if you go to QFC, Safeway, those types of grocery stores. I like it. And, you know, I looked on the online, and it's very easy to use. Uh, you've got your uh, masthead on the left where you've got your table of contents, whether it's produce and fruits and fish and et cetera. Um, the prices were, were competitive. They, they're farmer's market prices. And, you know, obviously... When we see prices, we're inundated with advertising from grocery stores, whether you get it in the mail or the newspaper or whatever it is. I still get that stuff. Uh, but they have lost leaders, and that's the whole point of cheap pricing in giant stores is that they're, they're trying to entice you to come buy that, and while you're there, you're going to spend you know, $30 more on other stuff. Whereas here, all that money goes straight back to the farm, straight back to the community, and it, it's um, reinvested truly into our, um, our marketplace here in Seattle, which I, th- I really like. Absolutely. It's critical that we continue to support the local farmers, because if the farmland ever gets turned over to the developers, it'll it'll never be farmland again. So, And the only way that these folks can make a living is by keeping the farmer's market prices up where they are. I mean, when you're farming organically, it's very difficult, and the amount of loss to bugs, et cetera, is much higher than it would be if you put pesticide down. But the basic rule for us, for Figbo, and actually it should be for everybody and how they live their life, is if you cannot walk the field with the farmer, pick it right off the plant and eat it, you probably don't want to eat it getting it out of the grocery store either. <laughs> That's tough. That is really tough because we've been conditioned as a little kid, you know, to sit in the seat on mommy's grocery cart because we didn't have farmer's markets back there. So maybe the young people these days will will have a chance to, uh, to um, really what's the word, to engage with this particular platform, this new business model, which the big stores are going away, but I think it's all cyclical, cyclical, because I think people like to be out and about and shopping, but still it comes down to time. Now, how many products do you have on the Figbo website right about now? Uh, right now, there's over 60 different products. Cool. And, and it's and delivery is included, right? Or is that an extra charge? Delivery over thirty five dollars delivery is included. Under thirty five dollars, there's a nine dollar delivery fee. Okay, well, shoot, then you you know buy more and save, right? Well, <laughs> you know, one of the easy things to do to get yourself over that thirty five dollar threshold, and one of the differentiators for us is we also handle beer, wine, cider. And spirits. That's why we have you on Happy Hour Radio. That's why we're on Happy Hour Radio. (laughs) So, and again, because we want things that are not 
it's difficult with wine. The wines are typically available at like QFC and uh, the Kroger stores. So our wineries are Cougar Crest and Brian Carter Cellars. Nice. Yeah. Our beer... Right now, the only beer that we're handling is Vashon Island Brewing. Okay. And other than a few small tap rooms down in the south end, about the only place you can uh, readily find Vashon Island Brewing is at the Vashon Island Farmer's Market. And he has some of the most interesting flavor profiles in beer that you've ever tried. Fun. Um, Are you a Vashonite? No, no. It just that happens to be a place where a lot of small artisanal People come up with some really crafty ideas. They do. It's pretty neat. They got Pollard Coffee, of course, a couple of wineries over there, the Palouse, um, and uh, Brockway, Tammy Brockway Joyce. They're making Seattle Distilling, and you've got uh, cider makers over there, too. And Yes. Now, our cider comes out of the Yakima area. It's Titan Cider Works, and our distiller- Titan? Titan. Yeah. um, And our distiller is Ula up on Capitol Hill. Yeah, good stuff. It's great to see our everybody sort of elevate their game year after year because they know more. They've they're seasoned. They've fine tuned their palate. They've maybe figured out their ingredients and um, also had better distribution at some point because it's it's just improving. Really neat. So Figbo is you can order twenty four seven. The delivery if I order on a Friday, when's my delivery? Monday. So okay. Two two times a week. We deliver on Monday and Thursday. All right. So great. And uh, it comes. I know that it comes in a box. It's all chilled. You have some ice packs in there, and it's it's key because you want that box back because this is all about the farmers market, farm to table, sustainable. Let's be environmentally conscious. So save the box, and by doing it online, you're really saving a trip because you guys are not only delivering to my house, but you're delivering to my neighbor's house, and so it's really one car doing one thing versus thirty cars doing thirty things. That's exactly the philosophy. I like it. So how do we sign up? Figbo.com. Figbo.com. It's that easy and uh, a lot of fun. What's one of your favorite ingredients real quick or, or items on, on Figbo outside of the uh, ch- cello? Well, the beer, the wine, the cider, <laughs> of course, are uh, always big hit. I lo- our proteins. Our proteins are absolutely phenomenal. All right. Well, I like it. Stuff. Okay, well, um, let's get you back on perhaps uh, once a month or seasonally and talk about what's on Figba. I think that'd be cool. And, and we always want to know what's happening in our farmers' markets. Bill Anderson with uh, Chief Marketing Officer for Figbo.com. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks, Chris. Awesome. Hey, folks, we got, uh, we're going to celebrate a Jewish holiday. And what do you do with Jewish holidays? You drink Jewish wine. So stick around. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, happy Saturday night. Happy September. And, uh, well, it's football season. Gosh, college football and this uh, big game tomorrow out of Green Bay. Um the season for harvest, uh, you know, we think about calendars. Uh, there's a fiscal calendar. There's the annual calendar, Gregorian calendar, um, zodiac calendar, Chinese calendar. But there are different starts to New Year's all around the world. And, and uh, in some ways, we think about a New Year in business being 
July for June, July 1st, right? That's the fiscal year. And of course, uh, we often celebrate New Year's on December 31st at midnight. Um, but there's something when it comes to religion of different New Year's. And uh, there's something that I don't know. I, I don't know everything, everybody. Uh, Rosh Hashanah is a Jewish holiday. And I'm going to learn more about that. Um, and more importantly, about the food pairings and the wine pairings uh, from an expert. His name is Jay Buxbaum. He's out in the East Coast. He's in uh, New Jersey today. Today, tonight, um, helping us, he is the Vice President of Marketing and the Chief Education Officer for um, Kosher Wines and Royal Wine Company, and I'm super excited. Hey, Jay Buxbaum, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, Christopher, so nice to be here. Well, thank you. Uh, this is a real treat for me. Uh, I grew up as a, a Catholic, <laughs> as a, a guilty Catholic or whatever that is, recovering, something like that. Um, Rosh Hashanah is a Jewish holiday. Tell me about this, please. Well, what's what's great about Rosh Hashanah, especially for me, is that I get to celebrate New Year's at least twice a year because my wife was born January first, <laughs> and and that's the of course the solar calendar, and Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the new Jewish New Year, which is the lunar calendar, ah. and that actually changes from year to year. Uh, this year, it's of course next week, um, but. What's wonderful about Rosh Hashanah is that, you know, I get to celebrate it twice. I get to celebrate the New Year twice. And we, of course, you know, with in, in the Jewish tradition, as is always the case, uh, you know, let's eat. That's, you know, it's, <laughs> let's pray and let's eat. So, you know, that that's really one of the things that, and every single uh, religious meal, especially on Rosh Hashanah, is not only accompanied by delicious and different foods. Every every holiday has its own kind of, you know, cuisine, foods. Yeah, but it also has its own kinds of wines that go with it. So that's it's very exciting. That is very exciting. Uh, what does the term Rosh Hashanah mean? Is that the celebration or the, the head of the year? Or directly translated, it means the head of the year, or or the beginning of the year. More more fin- you know, more trans trans translated really means the beginning of the year. I get that. The and is, the year. this is a one day deal because uh, do you celebrate and then you get the day off next day to, so, to sue that this hangover? Is, this is actually a two day, a two day holiday. Um, and this year it's Wednesday and Thursday, which is great because as soon as it's over, we begin the Sabbath, which is the Friday night. So you've got, uh, you've got almost like five days in a row of doing nothing but eating and drinking and of course communing with the lord so that you you know you can get rid of all your sins from the year before you know the <laughs> naughty or nice thing that you guys do on christmas right. we we kind of worry about that on rosh hashanah and we're always looking forward though to a great new year so well this is great and well the, and the and the wines and foods you know should reflect that i love it well let's talk about um some of the food. Uh, I don't know anything. Is it latkes and challah bread? I don't know much about Jewish food, but give me <laughs> okay. some ideas. I mean, you know, it's really great. It's really great. Latkes, latkes are actually potato pancakes. Okay, and those are most eaten or or uh, you know assigned to the holiday of Hanukkah, which actually takes place around Christmas time. Right. Center. So, but for Rosh Hashanah, we eat sweet foods. Why? Because we always want to give it the impression um, that we're eating sweet things in in honor of or in you know hope that we're going to have a nice sweet year. 
So you'll see a lot of what we call simis. Now, simis is simply carrots that are uh, boiled and cooked and for a long, long time so that, you know, you get a lot of reduction and therefore a lot of good sweetness. Um, you have stuffed cabbage with raisins and, and all kinds of other sweet um, seasonings to go with it. And um, in general, you're looking for uh, sweet kinds of foods. But having said that, you may start the meal with that and end the meal with that. But in between, you're going to have the delicious kind of luscious briskets and uh, roast chickens, uh, often with a raisin or, um, you know, sweet wine, uh, blanche sauce. So that, that, those are the kinds of foods that you're going to be looking to drink and to eat, I'm sorry, to eat and to drink with. Now, one of the interesting things about that is, is that you're also looking for wines that are new. So you'll try new vintages. Ah. You'll even try new champagnes, which is always <laughs> a celebratory kind of thing to, to eat with, uh, you know, a new year. Um, but often, more often than not, every Rosh Hashanah meal will, you, will end with something sweet, uh, maybe a great sauterne or a late Ooh. harvest Riesling uh, from Herzog. Uh, so those are the kinds of foods and, and wines that we'll be looking at for Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so um, to have a, a great meal, obviously someone who, who knows how to cook in the Jewish tradition who's going to be Jewish and is going to cook that. But the winemaking side, we talk about kosher and kosher salt and kosher wine and kosher these, but is kosher wine a necessity to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, or is this is this something that is part of the tradition? Well, actually, you know, if you're an observant, there are. It's very interesting to note, by the way, that kosher is actually Jewish is not a style. It's actually um, it's actually a religion, which means that, you know, when people think about kosher food, often they'll think of gefilte fish or matzah or brisket, which is true because a lot of Eastern Europeans, a lot of Jewish people that, that came to America came from Eastern Europe where those things were prevalent. But you have kosher Chinese people, you have <laughs> kosher um, South American, Chileans, uh, even, you know, people from the Middle East. Uh, Syrians, there's a large kosher and Jewish Syrian community. And when they come from those areas, they will bring those traditional foods with them. You have, you have Jewish Italians, so there'll be Italian foods, but all of them will have a kind of holiday bent to them. So if it's, in a, it's, if it's a family from Italy that happens to be Jewish and kosher, they'll do their traditional Italian foods but they'll add some sweetness again to indicate that, you know, we're looking forward to a sweet new year. And as far as kosher wine goes, unlike kosher foods, kosher wine simply means that there is no kosher foods often have different ingredients. So for example, you can't have any shellfish in kosher foods. It's a, it's a considered a non-kosher food. You can't have any pork products in kosher foods considered non-kosher. You can't mix milk and meat right. with you know, in your ingredients. But when it comes to kosher wine, kosher wine is made in exactly the same way non-kosher wine is made, except for the fact that from the crushing of the grape until the bottle is sealed, it's overseen by a rabbinical authority to make sure that nothing foreign goes into it, that it's just from the grape, made just with natural yeasts and in the, in the, in the most natural way. 
So I hope I've confused you a lot here, but you know, that's, that's what kosher is all about. You had me at gefilte fish. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, speaking with Jay Buxbaum, who's the vice president of marketing for uh, for the Royal Wine Company, which is based in the East Coast. And um, you're, you have kosher wines in your title of the company. Is that right? Kosher wines and Royal Wine Company? Yeah. How yep. many kosher wines do you have in your inventory? Well, there are now today in America somewhere between four and 600 different kosher wines. But there'll be wines from, you know, Chianti's from Italy and okay. Champagne's from Champagne, France, and wow. uh, Goose Bay Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand. Wow. And uh, Moscato's from, listen, one of the largest, not the large, not, not if not, the largest single Italian Moscato in America happens to be kosher. It's the Bartonura blue bottled Moscato. Wow. So again, so it's it's more of a how it's how it's overseen rather than what the ingredients are or what the style of winemaking is. Interesting. I had no idea um, that there would be that many kosher wines. Of course, it makes sense. There's probably, what, uh, 500,000 wines in the world alone or something like that. That doesn't seem like a lot, to be honest. Probably pretty light. Um, You know, we're going to take a little break. When we come back from this break, I want to learn more about uh, some of the food pairings and some of the wines that you would recommend with with perhaps... uh, you know, the, the sweet style New Year's Rosh Hashanah menu and also where they are, what carried. I know that I, I see some in the stores and, I, and some of the names, uh, the kosher names like Manischewitz or Herzog are, are probably the preeminent names that I'm familiar with when I go to the grocery store and, and just peruse and see some fun things like that. But, um, Jay, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk more about uh, Rosh Hashanah and then get you some of your wine recommendations. So, hey, folks, I've got Jay Buxbaum, the uh, marketing, the vice president of marketing for Kosher Wines and Royal Wine Company. He's right here on Happy Hour Radio. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk more about uh, kosher wines and well, and, and how to have a good time with uh, a tasty menu and some sweet food. So stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. A Northwest Original, Lars Larson, live weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, happy September Saturday night. It's uh, Happy Hour Radio. It's time for round three. Uh, I've got um, a great gentleman on the line. He's an expert in kosher wines and represents uh, the vice president of marketing for the Royal Wine Company back on the East Coast. Jay Buxbaum is here. We're talking about Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and they dine on some sweet-styled fruits. I should sort, I should say sweet uh, flavored menu items for this because they want to hope that they have a sweet new year. Now, Jay, we were talking about kosher and that uh, kosher wine is made the, the exact same way as any other wine in the world for the most part. It's just that it's overseen by a rabbinical, what did you say, rabbinical authority? Rabbinical crew, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Um, you know, my mom is uh, a great theologian. She's loves to chat about uh, religion and, and different religions. She told me that kosher really was an idea that Back in the early, early days, um, it was really for health. I mean, you didn't do some of these things because they recognized that if you had 
dairy and meat, sometimes you'd have cross-contamination or you would have shellfish or this and that. So is that is that what you understand it to be or is it more of a, just the religious thing? Is it taking on that this is what, you know, Jesus broke the bread and all that stuff kind of thing? I think, I think the theologians have, in order to explain what how kosher came about, at least from an orthodox and observant point of view, um, we believe that these are all direct tenants from on high, and that theologians and scientists, etc., who are not theologically um, or personally vested in spirituality, have taken on some of those perspectives in order to explain it on a very non from a very non-spiritual point of view. And but it turns out that they're correct. I mean, it turns out that they're correct that yes, you know, it wasn't until thousands of years after uh, pork was considered not a no-no amongst the Jewish population that they discovered trichinosis, which is a pork-related disease. Uh, of course, that that is not present anymore because of scientific breakthroughs and cleanliness, et cetera, et cetera. But um, so, yes, it, it turns out it was a protection. But ultimately, the reason why someone at least from an orthodox perspective, or an observant perspective, is kosher or not kosher is because this is what this is how we're directed by the Lord. Got it. Well, it's interesting because my parents are both physicians, doctors, and so scientific folk. Um, and then you know to have that religious side, and, and they get both sides because they've been um, you know taught in, in two different veins. But uh, let's talk about kosher wine. So kosher wine is really just uh, some. Uh, a rabbinical crew or authority uh, supervising the production, but it can be any kind of grape, any kind of alcohol strength, any kind of um, level of sweetness. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I will tell you this: if your mom's a theologian, she's going to love what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> um, the question is, where did kosher wine come about? Why did it come about? Why did the rabbis insist that from the crushing of the grape until the sealing of the bottle? It had to be overseen by their rabbinic authority. And, and the Talmud talks about this at length. And if, if you know your history and, you know, and your mythology, you know that paganism was the, was the religion of the day. And paganism had a lot of... <laughs> yeah, real popular. Day. Right. Well, I don't know how popular it is as, as it was, but that was the only thing. You know, monotheism... Is, was relatively new when Abraham came along. I mean, until then, and even for millennia after Abraham, um, you know, uh, what he called um, paganism still thrived. And what the rabbis noticed was is that pagans would use wine in sacramental rites. And they said, wait a minute, if, if someone had poured some wine for some pagan god, we don't want that wine being used for our son's bar mitzvah or my daughter's wedding. Mm -hmm. And I I believe Christians would feel the same way. You know, if a wine had been used prior to the sacrament and then you went to church and that same wine was used in, you know, in the sacrament for, you know, for Jesus, etc., they would be very upset. So the rabbis decided was, you know what, we've got a solution to this. I like it. It Makes total yeah. sense, and it yeah, makes me so, think. I wonder if uh, if Trump wine sales are down because nobody wants that <laughs> pagan in their rituals. So, uh, so yeah, so that's that, that's what it's about. And what really the message is is that what we want, what the rabbis wanted, and what we want out of kosher wine is that it comes to you 
completely neutral, completely pure, not only physically, but spiritually. And you make it special when you open it up for your wedding, for your bar mitzvah, for your anniversary, for your daughter's graduation. You make it special. It hasn't been defiled in any spiritual sense before it got to you. Wow. So that's what... That's really the message of kosher wine. That's the kosher seal of quality. I like it. So cool. Exactly. I'm wondering if yeah. I, if I, you know, uh, change religions, can I still get a bar mitzvah if I am a little older Absolutely. than? I can. So Absolutely. it's really although, although I don't know if you'll like the other part of it, which means that you'll need a circumcision. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends how much wine and what time of the day. Anyway, let's talk about. <laughs> speaking of wine, let's talk about some of the wines you might re- recommend. Um, you would suggest for uh, Rosh Hashanah. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a meal. All right. Okay. Mm. And I'm going to pick wines from all over the world because, as I said earlier in the. In the show, wines, kosher wines come from all over the world. So we'll start out with either a Drapier or a oh. Rothschild Champagne from France. The Drapier is a blend of, of course, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Pinot Meunier, while the, her, while the Rothschild is a blend of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Both of them are brut. Both of them are really wonderful and really a great way to start with your appetizer, whether it be salmon or fish of any kind, gefilte fish even, Great way to start. I got to On meet the, the Drapier daughter uh, here in Seattle one time, and it's just, wow, that's great. And then no one knows great that, people. like, Lafitte Rothschild or Mouton Rothschild, the Rothschild is a Jewish name. It's kind of, that's correct. no one thinks about Their that. Family, that's right. Their family dates back to uh, Moses Montefiore. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Mr. Rothschild back in the 1700s. 1700s, yeah. So and fun. they were they evolved into a banking family and ultimately into a French wine family and uh, of course Mouton and and Lafitte and and this, these are the same Rothschild family that has their Jewish roots that are still making some kosher wine today most of their wines are not certified kosher but they allow some rabbinical supervision in some of their wineries to make certain kosher runs. And then we can start out with wine from New Zealand. Cool. Uh, A 95 plus, I'm sorry, a 90 plus rated wine in the wine enthusiast and the wine spectator called uh, Goose Bay Sauvignon Blanc. It's a magnificent, really tangy, lemon sweet wine. It's not sweet, but it's got that kind of fruit. Ripeness, yeah. Lemony, you know, (laughs) bright fruit forward lemoniness. That would be great with your first course, which might be, I don't know, a light chicken dish of some kind with a sauce blanche even made with the Goose Bay ah, itself. Okay. And then if, you, if you're having a, a five-course meal and you're going to a richer white chicken or veal dish, you can have the Herzog Russian River Chardonnay. Now, that comes from California. And California, Russian River is actually a, an area in Sonoma County. Yep. The Russian River vineyards are known for their complexity and their richness. This, go, this wine goes through what we call malolactic or secondary fermentation, so it's full and rich in the mouth. Mm-hmm. It would be great for a heavier veal or chicken dish of a heavier, maybe with a little mushroom, white mushroom sauce of some kind. And then if you want to look for um, a brisket or a, a meat dish of some kind, that's going to be your fourth course, maybe with some raisins and, um, you know, some some reduction, sauce reduction, you can get a really, really wonderful wine from Israel. Israel was just put on the front cover, not just, about eight months ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, wine Spectator. The, the Wine Spectator, yeah. exactly. And I've got a wonderful choice of two wines 
or three wines that I'd like to mention. One is from Castel, which is considered the great oh, kind of Chateau Margaux of Israel. It's a great blend of Cabernet Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Petit Verdot. So it's really complex, rich Bordeaux-style wine made in Israel. Then you have Flam, which makes some really great wines from uh, the Judean Hills, uh, from the same place that, that, um, that Abraham first uh, grew wine and, and made wine. And, and then you have a really great wine from Shiloh, which is uh, also a wonderful uh, place in the area of the Judean Hills that makes some great Cabernet. So those are, those are three wines from Israel, either Castel, Blend, um, um, Flam, Cabernet Reserve, or Shiloh, Cabernet Secret Reserve. So I those love are three it. wines for that. Cool. And then finally, and then finally, again, we'll go back to California. For dessert, you're going to have something really sweet and luscious and great to end your meal. Uh, and let's talk about a white dessert of some kind, um, either ice cream or, and of course, that would be parv ice cream because you had some meat. So it would be <laughs> non-dairy because you can't mix the milk and meat. And it would be some really, or maybe, uh, you know, a, 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 um, a fruit flange. Coconut ice kind. or something, yeah. And and there's a great late harvest orange muscat from the Herzog family and the Herzog wine cellars in Oxnard, California. Wow! So those—that's—that's that's the way I would—I would. I would uh, that's lay great. Out my meal for Rosh Hashanah. Well, hold on. I got to digest this. When we come back from this break, I want to chat more with Jay Buxbaum of the Royal Wine Company here on Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. It's time for our fourth and final segment. I've got Jay Buxbaum, the Vice President of Marketing of a Royal Wine Company, back east in Trenton, New Jersey, and we're chatting about Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year holiday coming up next week. Uh, I'm feeling kind of full, though. I didn't eat anything. We just had this fabulous five-course <laughs> meal with uh, Drapier Champagne, then we had a little uh, Goose Bay uh, Sauvignon Blanc from uh, New Zealand, then you brought a couple different reds from uh, a Chardonnay from California from Herzog, which was from Russian River, and some nice reds, and of course, uh, finishing up with the Orange Muscat, also from Herzog. Now, is Herzog the same? Is this like uh, Rotary Estate is uh, part of the Louis Roederer family from from France and Champagne all the way to, to Anderson Valley. Is Herzog the same va- family, or is it a different entity? No, the Herzog family is is you know based in New York, but their California property is in Oxnard, and you know they they bring in wines from all over the world. Got it. Okay. And and so you know I think one of the big myths of kosher wine is that it's always made from Concord grapes, but you've dispelled that, of course. Um, and yeah, in fact, we didn't even mention Concord grape in this discussion <laughs> at all. Oh, Conc- you know, well, just real quick, the reason why Concord grape was thought to be that is because when Jews first came to this country in mass, around the, turn, beginning around the turn of the last century, the only grape that was available was Concord, and so that's what they had to make wine out of. Yes, I I remember that's part of the history, and it's interesting because um, it always ends up sweet, and uh, because it doesn't have much acid there, but uh, right. pretty neat. So. 
I'm curious about the vineyards of Israel. You mentioned Abraham had a vineyard. First of all, was it? it I believe it was white grapes, wasn't it? When it was he was drinking, or was it actually um, red grapes? I, I think it was red grapes. Wow. But I think the most interesting thing about Israel is, is that, which most people don't know, Americans don't know, is that Israel is the size and shape, pretty much, of New Jersey. So it's tiny, wow. relatively speaking. Yet the microclimates. You can go skiing in the morning in the Golan and scuba diving the same afternoon in Eilat. And that reflects not only the diversity of what I just described, pleasure of you know the body, but also of the land. So you have vineyards that are literally under snow every year, you know, during the winter, and vineyards that are quite warm towards the desert and the southern part of the country. And the wines that come from those vineyards reflect those micro microclimates. Interesting. What's the latitude for Israel? About 2,500 feet above sea level on mm-hmm. average. But of course, that's the other thing. You have the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on Earth, which is 600 feet below sea level. And you have the Golan Heights, where they actually grow grapes, which is 4,500 feet above sea level. So That's pretty high. Know, yeah. Wow, that's like Argentina almost. And as far as, um, what's it parallel to? Would it be parallel to San Diego, or is it uh, more of a... No, it would be parallel to more like northern, uh, I would say above, above, um, oh gosh, Santa Barbara. Okay. All right, so it's uh, a moderate warm temperature, but it can get uh, you got right. some altitude, which gets you some snow. This is really neat. What what I like about the idea of kosher wines too is that outside of the champagnes, which can be a little bit expensive because it takes a long time to make that, but all these wines sound like they have some value to it. Is, is kosher wine pretty much a good value? It can be. It, you know, there are some, as you said, as with non, you know, all kinds of wines. There are some wines that are very expensive, and there are some wines that are very good in value that have a big QPR and there's no difference in the kosher, you know, the 600 or so varieties of kosher wine. I love it. Well, uh, let's see. What's a toast in, in, um, Hebrew and what's, uh, thank L'chaim. you. L'chaim. That's what it is. I, I hear that. That's what they're doing. And what's thank you? Uh, Todah. Todah. Well, uh, Jay Buxbaum. L'chaim means, L'chaim means to life. Yes. And of course, Todah just means thanks. Oh, I love it. This has been very educational for me, and um, you left me starving here, but my mind is full of these great ideas for Rosh Hashanah, and I will be actually in France. Maybe I'll look for a kosher wine when I'm over there next week. Um, hey, Jay Buxbaum. Bordeaux. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what a treat. Let's do this again sometime. I really appreciate it. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. That's right. Hey, that's Jay Buxbaum with the Royal Wine Company, the Vice President of Marketing, and chatting about uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and some kosher wines. Um, I love good food and good wine, and if any of my friends out there, I need to go sit in either on a Seder dinner or a Rosh Hashanah dinner. Come on. Take me under your wing, and... um, I'll bring some wine. I'll find some kosher wine. It'll be really fun. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you like uh, checking out Figbo, which is a local farmer's market delivered direct to your door. And um, coming up later in uh, this fall, i got to get you guys ready. We've got the Walk of West Seattle. is in September 28th, I believe. And then Holiday Wine Fest. Can I say the holidays? It is September. Heck, got all the Halloween candy already. But it's September 11th. Sorry, November 11th. Holiday Wine Fest over at the Seattle Center. There'll be 90 vendors. We have spirits. 
spirits, cocktails, beer, uh, cider, wine, of course, food, and artisan shopping. It's a fantastic event. It all benefits scholarships for the wine industry, and um, it's November 11th. But anyway, tell your friends about Happy Hour Radio. If you ever miss a show, it's happyhourradio.net. And when you're out and about, remember, folks, life's always better with a designated driver. Cheers! Cheers!